season's going to end on a double doink. Doink. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. That's what you want to know? It's the T.C. Martin Show. Yeah, I had an idea. Diagnosis. I had an idea. And then, uh... Prognosis. Yeah, I take the serious. Osmosis. Why, it's funny? It wasn't, it wasn't funny. I wasn't laughing about it. Yeah. It's not funny. It's not funny. Nothing's funny. Don't you ever talk about me. Yeah, I had an idea. That's the result you're going to get. It's the doctor, T.C. Martin. I don't go out there and laugh. The doctor is now in. And it is a Tuesday, T.C. Martin with you, and uh, terrible Tuesday edition for so many reasons here today, and uh, we will get into our show today. Steve Berline uh, will join us, uh, Bill Cartwright will join us, and we'll have plenty of terrible Tuesday takes as well, too, plenty to, to touch on. But we definitely want to start today's show off on a very sad note, a very terrible note, and we must announce the sad news of the passing of our good friend, cohort here, uh, Frank Harnish, Ballpark Frank, VGK Frank, who uh, passed away yesterday. And no easy way to do this, come on the air and talk about this. I had talked to Frank's brother last night and got the news, um, talked to the family, and out of the respect of their family, um, they did not want this really mentioned you know, today, talking about uh, on the air. They actually requested me not to talk about it, not to post anything uh, about it until the family could gather their thoughts and make the arrangements necessary for, for Frank's burial. Um, but... When news got out earlier this morning uh, by so many people that loved Frank, um, you know, a lot of us here in the media and a lot of us, his friends, had to you decide which way to go with this. And I didn't want to break the confidence or the trust of the family uh, and uh, those that I had I had worked with, with Frank uh, at our other station, uh, you know, all talked about this. And then after talking to his brother again today before he came on the air he said you have my permission to go ahead and and tell your listeners about the uh about frank's passing and uh and as i explained to him well i said it's because of the love that everyone has for ballpark frank um you know when people get, hear news or they hear rumors and they want things confirmed uh, you know, when you are close to the family, you want to respect their wishes. Um, and that's what, we, what I was trying to do late last night and, and early this morning. And I'm thankful that his brother John uh, gave me permission to come on the air and talk about it today, along with uh, a lot of our other radio brethren here uh, in, in town. Uh, but again, you know, getting the news last night that uh, Frank had passed hit very, very hard uh, with me. And of course, you know, Frank was part of this show, has been part of the show for the better part of the last year. And uh, not only is he a friend, a colleague, uh, just a, an entrusted dear friend, um, he's, he's an icon here in Las Vegas and has been, you know, working in this market for over 28 years on the radio side. 
uh, majority of those years with Lotus Broadcasting and, uh, you know, Frank and I working together for the better part of the last five years and then exclusively over the last year and a half, you know, here on my show. Um, been in contact with him base- daily. Um, as you know, we've been trying to have him on the show at least once a week when he was up to it, going through his cancer treatments, going through his chemotherapy. And I believe it was just a little more than a week ago when he was on the air with us. And he sounded great. And I told him he sounded fantastic, that your chair next to me is, is ready whenever you were, you know, want to return. And if you remember in our last conversation uh, on the air here, he did say that uh, he thought that he was getting better. He was making a turn for the better. And he was looking forward to returning to games and to to matches, going to UFC and boxing, and then getting back on the air with us on a regular basis because he was feeling better. But as we know, and we know anybody that's gone through the treacherous times during cancer, unfortunately, I know it all too well, losing several members of my family uh, to that dreaded disease, including my sister, who went through a lot of the same symptoms that Frank went at the very same age. Things don't, don't always you know, get better when you're going through chemotherapy. And I know Frank was reluctant to go through it, but he was basically pushed and, uh, you know, by his, his family and friends to, Hey, you know, get this treatment, uh, and try to get better. And after spending over five weeks in the hospital, he was able to go home, start going through chemo. Uh, he was getting through those chemo treatments good, but then, uh, just over the last, you know, week or so, some of those treatments turned even even tougher for him to deal with. And, you know, we had conversations on a daily basis. He was there. There were some good days. There were some bad days. And that's the way it is, as we know, with cancer. Uh, He fought a hard battle, fought a hard fight. Um, But the bottom line is, uh, you know, Frank Harnish is is a guy who does believe. He is a a man that... uh, doesn't want anyone, never want anyone to feel sorry for him. He wanted people to live their own lives, think of themselves. Uh, he was never a guy, as we know, that, uh, you know, seeked pity, wanted pity at all. And uh, none of us that were close to him were going to give him that. So today's a very sad day. There's a lot to transpire. It's been a rough last 12 to 14 hours uh, for me. Uh, and, uh, you know, obviously he's family members and, uh, they do respect, uh, the privacy, uh, for Frank and his family. And, uh, now that, you know, people have posted on social media and people are hearing about this, you know, news now, um, you know, we welcome, you know, people to give their thoughts and to freely post, send their condolences to Frank Harnish and his family and, um, moving forward. Uh, we remember the great times. Uh, we remember that smiling face, the sarcastic banter, <laughs> uh, his love for the all things Chicago, his love for the Ohio State Buckeyes, and uh, that was one of my my last few texts that I that I sent to Frank in the last few days was, "Hey, uh, sorry for your Buckeyes, but at least your Bears won 
uh, on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> um, but uh, he has not been in good health uh, recently. And um, the Lord has called him, and, and Frank has, has passed. We will, he will be severely missed, uh, not only by me, but our, our listeners, but anyone who's ever come in contact with Frank, uh, whether you live in Las Vegas or wherever you're from, whether it was a casual meeting, whether it was a, a longtime friendship or a bond, uh, he had a, a very positive effect, and he was very positive uh, in this community here in Las Vegas for the better part of the last 35 years. And uh, those people that got a chance to know him or got a chance to know him through the radio, whether it's his days on on comp, on the rock station, or through the various sports stations here in town, you knew that you had one big, fun, loving guy. He had a rough, gruff demeanor, but inside, he was that teddy bear. It's a fun-loving guy uh, that would give the shirt off his back, would do anything for you. He was very proud, and he would always talk about giving blood uh, at the blood bank or any blood donations. Uh, that's just who he was at all times. So I appreciate our time together. I appreciate him accepting my offer to become part of this show uh, after he left his last radio job and joined me here for the better part of the last year and a half. And um, again, condolences to him and the family. He will be missed. Tomorrow, we are going to do a tribute to Ballpark Frank. Um, we are going to um, open up phone lines tomorrow. Any listeners that would like to chime in. Also, uh, I'm going to invite a lot of our radio colleagues and other friends to say a few words tomorrow. Uh, we will do that during the 3 o'clock hour tomorrow. So you can make a note of that, plan on that. And we look forward to that. And we'll talk more about the life and fun times with Ballpark Frank, VGK Frank, Frank Harnish, uh, tomorrow uh, during the show. But this time, again, uh, delivering the news that, uh, that Frank has passed away. And may he rest in peace. It's Terrible Tuesday. That's terrible. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. That's a terrible idea. I want to know what the hell he's smoking. Something stinks in here. That's terrible. <laughs> it's Terrible Tuesday. Things gone wrong in the sporting world. All right, we take a look at the college football landscape. It is extremely crazy right now. The popularity is at its peak at this time of year. And what do we've got going right now? Well, we've got at least one more unveiling of the college football playoff rankings coming our way tonight. Trevor Maddich is going to join us tomorrow. We'll talk about that. But what is stealing the show? The coaching carousel. Oh, yeah, two big-time coaching vacancies. Two big-time coaching stories have taken center stage on the eve of unveiling the latest college football playoff rankings. Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma. Now, we talked about this on the show yesterday, all right, but it's just too juicy not to make it part of a terrible Tuesday, right? So Lincoln Riley leaves the University of Oklahoma on the morning after the Bedlam loss, if you got a chance to see the game on Saturday at Oklahoma State, 
They had two 10-1 teams here, OU and Oak State. One ranked seven, the Sooners, and then you've got Oklahoma State Cowboys ranked number 10. And the winner here, a leg going to the college football playoff, if everything falls right. Highly contested game. The Sooners had this game. They kind of gave it away towards the end. And Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy's team, got a rare victory over the Sooners, basically knocking them out of the college football playoff. So we get news on Sunday afternoon that, boom, just like that, Lincoln Riley has left Oklahoma and has accepted the job at USC. Now, the timeline is rather strange here. All right, now, according to Lincoln Riley, he said that he got an early morning phone call on Sunday morning from USC to offer him the job. He said things moved very quickly. And next thing you know, by the early afternoon on Sunday, this thing was a done deal. It was over. He said he got a chance to talk to his players in person at Oklahoma on Sunday. Some of the players were okay. They wished him well. They understood. And other players were upset, emotionally, visibly upset. And he said some were okay, some weren't. Lincoln Riley could not get out of Norman, Oklahoma fast enough on that plane to get to USC. And if you look at any of the video from yesterday or this morning, there's Lincoln Riley shaking hands, kissing babies, wearing the red and gold of USC. And just, again, 48 hours ago, he's on the sideline leading the Sooners to not only Bedlam, the biggest rivalry game that they have on that campus, but on the verge of getting possibly into the college football playoff. So after the Oklahoma State game, he then said that he was thinking about the decision. And then all of a sudden things started moving quickly. Well, wait a minute. How could he be getting a a phone call and getting an offer on Sunday if he said after the game that he started thinking about taking the USC job? So things really don't kind of mesh here. And I guess... It really doesn't matter because the bottom line is this. When you're a college football coach, you can make that decision to just leave on a drop of a dime. But you do have to take in consideration of the players because those are players that you have recruited, right? Guys that you committed to for at least four years, and they committed to you, and they committed to that university. So from a player's perspective, you just wonder how you're feeling right now. Now, Oklahoma had recruits now drop off, drop out. He had six decommit to the University of Oklahoma within the last 24 hours. Spencer Rattler, who was the opening day starter, who was the starter last year, who was the Heisman Trophy favor at the beginning of the season, who was benched by Lincoln Riley during the Texas game. He now announced that he's transferring. He's in the transfer portal. And now... We hear that Lincoln Riley has basically taken his entire coaching staff from Oklahoma to USC. All by his right, which he can do. But there seems to be just, you know, no... What's the word I'm looking for here? Just He just has gone about business in a very businessman-like fashion here when you're dealing with the college landscape, when you're dealing with athletes and you're dealing with their future lives here. 
Like I said, Oklahoma was 10-1, and ranked number seven prior to that game. And now they're in disarray. Bob Stoops, the former coach who he took over for, is now going to take over for Lincoln Riley for their bowl game. And Lincoln Riley now goes to USC. So it's, it's kind of a, a bad story if you're an Oklahoma player, uh, Oklahoma Sooner player. But for Lincoln Riley, he is going to get to build a program that has unlimited pocketbooks, unlimited money there at USC, and will try to build a winner there at the age of 38. Now, the other news is Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame to take the LSU job. All of this happening within about the same time frame here on on Sunday and into uh, early Monday morning. Brian Kelly signs a 10-year, $95 million deal with LSU. Kelly's record, 113-40. and He is the winningest coach in Notre Dame history. Actually has more wins than Newt Rockney. Now, here's where the story gets terrible for me. All right? Any coach can get up and leave, like I said, just like Lincoln Riley, even though the fashion he did it, it's going to have a lot of people in Norman, Oklahoma upset. No different than Lane Kiffin, the way he left Tennessee, or the way other coaches have just you know, said they're going to be there forever, and they deny, 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 and then they take a job for greener pastures and a lot more money. All right? With Brian Kelly, uh, Notre Dame people are probably shaking their head because like Oklahoma and Lincoln Riley, they had no idea this was coming. In Oklahoma, I heard that people were on the golf course, administrators, when they, they knew this. Lincoln Riley had no conversation with anyone in Oklahoma that he was going to take the job. Brian Kelly did not have any conversation with anybody at the University of Notre Dame that he was going to bolt for LSU. The moment that game was over with Notre Dame over the weekend, the game, the, the moment that game was over with Ed Ogeron coming from behind at LSU to get his last victory as they carried him off the field, the victory over Texas A&M, LSU could not wait to kick Eddie O out the door and say, Brian Kelly, you're our guy. Yes, things move very, very fast in the college football landscape. That is very true. But for Brian Kelly to take this job, and I don't know how much thought that he really gave this thing, sure, you want to go to LSU, Okay, if you're on the outside looking in, I understand that. If you're Brian Kelly, impulsive decision, I get that. Been at Notre Dame, maybe it's time for a change, and I'm going to go to LSU, where I'm going to go in a better conference. I'm going to be in the Southeastern Conference, and I'm going to get maximum television exposure. Even with a one or two loss team, I still have an opportunity to win a conference championship go to a New Year's Day bowl game, and maybe still get a chance to play for a national championship. In Notre Dame, it can't be done like that because Notre Dame is an independent. That's about the only reason that I can come up with why Brian Kelly would leave the comfy confines of Notre Dame. Because no coach at Notre Dame should ever leave a job at that university. Do you know this? That no one has ever done it before. And there's a reason why. No Notre Dame head coach has ever accepted another college job. It hasn't happened. 
coaches have got fired. But you don't leave that job at Notre Dame. You know why? Because it is the most prestigious job that you could possibly get. But it's not just prestige that I'm talking about. I'm talking about because you have it made. You have it made in the shade, to borrow a little phrase from the Fonz in Happy Days, right? You are set for life at Notre Dame, and you win, and you become the all-time winningest coach in history, more than Newt Rockney, more than Eric Parsegian, more than Lou Holtz. Again, more than Rockney, you're revered. You have streets named after you. You have buildings named after you. You could have Notre Dame Stadium named after you at some point in time. You are reverence. You have it made. You have a lifetime salary. You have a lifetime commitment there. You're going to be honored forever and ever and ever. You are set for life. There is no need to ever leave. Once you have accomplished stardom at Notre Dame, you never need to think about another job. But Brian Kelly, you're going to LSU? You better win. And you better win immediately. And you better win year after year after year. Just ask Eddie O. Eddie O, two years removed from a national championship. 2019, he wins a national championship. Half of the season last year, COVID strikes, didn't do well. Got embarrassed in a couple games. Got run off the field against Mississippi State and others. This year, they come back, really don't have the talent. Pretty decent season, not good enough for LSU standards. You're gone. Mid-season, a year and a half removed from winning a national championship. Eddie O, you're out. Also, ask Les Miles about this. National championship at LSU in 2007. Years later, fired. Okay, he won it in 2007, but he had all kinds of success in 2008, 2009, 2010, 2011. Do you know who was the Walter Camp Coach of the Year? It was Les Miles. 2015, fired at LSU. Four years removed from being Coach of the Year, fired. Brian Kelly, you're a good coach. I don't think you're that good of a coach because if you lose four games at LSU... You gone. Plain and simple. Notre Dame, you didn't have to worry about that. You could have gone 9-3 and three for the rest of your years at Notre Dame and could have lived comfortably, welcome back any point in time, but now you want to play with the big boys, you want to go to the big conference, and if you don't produce a national championship, you're going to be fired. And even if you do produce a national championship, if you come back with four or five lost seasons after that, you're gone. And here's the other thing about this. Notre Dame is number six in the country right now. Tonight they could be even higher when the college football playoff rankings are announced. On the latest rendition, they're slightly on the outside looking in. They have the one loss to Cincinnati. They actually, if things worked out, They could actually have the rematch against Cincinnati in the playoff. That actually could happen if things fall right, in which they could. Craziness that you're talking about a guy leaving a 10-1 Oklahoma team, drop of a dime, without really any thought. I get it. USC, USC's not relevant right now, but they will be. No question about it. They got the pocketbooks. They got the Hollywood money there. I get that. But leaving Notre Dame... When you're relevant, when you're there, when you have one loss, you're ranked number six in the country, 
to go to a place that has a great football program, a great football pass, but none greater than the one you're leaving at Notre Dame. Brian Kelly, you need to win and win all the time. How about last night's NFL football game, Monday Night Football? Now, we thought it would kind of be a snoozer. You got two teams. You got a 3-7 and seven, a 4-6 and six team. The Seattle Seahawks, 3-7 and seven coming in. They need to win desperately. But Washington, they got the job done again last night. 17-15 the final. Russell Wilson couldn't get the job done again. This offense, atrocious. Petey Carroll is, is the writing on the wall for Pete Carroll. Maybe USC should have waited. Maybe they could have got Pete Carroll back to USC. Because he's probably not going to be in Seattle much longer. Last night, the Red uh, Washington trailing seven to three. They score a touchdown to go ahead nine to seven. So what comes next? A simple point after touchdown. That's what we're thinking, right? All right? To make the score ten seven in favor of Washington. This is a little bit strange. It's blocked. Rasheem Green able to pick it up for Seattle, and he's got a path. He's got blockers all the way. How about that turn of events for Rasheem Green? That was the first block extra point this season, and it is very rare that you see the block extra point and then return all the way to the other end zone for a uh, for a two-point conversion. And that's exactly what happened last night. One of the most exciting plays. And it's great that the NFL finally instituted this because years ago that didn't happen. It was just it was a dead ball, end of story. But this made the score nine to nine and made this game very interesting with playoff implications on the horizon for both teams here. Because as the kicker, Joey Sly, whose PAT was blocked, he was chasing down Rasheem Green. And Green was booking it. I mean, he was booking it. Joey Sly, once he got to the 50-yard line, he had no shot of catching him. He went down like a ton of bricks. Wasn't blocked. Wasn't nothing. All right, now the holder, who was a punter, he got pancaked. But Joey Sly started a, a mad sprint and just went down like a ton of bricks. We see him hobbling off the sideline, and he ended up having a pulled hamstring, which prevented him from going back out on the field. He couldn't even kick off. So they had the punter kick off, and Coach Ron Rivera says, you know what, we got nobody else to kick. An extra point for the rest of the game or a field goal. So therefore, Washington was relegated to going for it on each and every fourth down. Now, we bring this up because this comes into play. So at that point in time, the score was 9-9. The Washington scores a touchdown. They had to go for two. And they made it, luckily, to make it 17-9. And that was a score for the entire second half. But now we fast forward to late in the fourth quarter. Washington is trying to kill the clock. They've got a seven-minute drive that started inside their own 10, going all the way down. They had to convert on four, I'm sorry, convert on three fourth downs. They had to go for it on fourth down because they could not attempt a field goal. Once they got into Seattle territory, they got all the way down to the four-yard line with two minutes to go. Fourth and goal from the four. And instead of kicking an easy field goal to end this game, basically, and make it an 11-point game, a two-score game, with Seattle with no timeouts remaining, nope, they had to go for it. And what happened? They didn't get it. 
They thought they got it, but then upon further review, they did not get it. And uh, so Seattle got the ball at their own four, less than two minutes to go, no timeouts left. Seattle could not garnish a first down for most of this game. And all of a sudden, Russell Wilson came alive. Russell Wilson completed a couple big plays, and then with 22 seconds to go, he completes a touchdown pass to make it 17-15. So here comes Seattle now with a chance to tie the game up and potentially with no field goal kicker for Washington for the overtime period. If they nail this two-point conversion, advantage Seattle. But what happens? Russell Wilson, errant pass, ball game over, and Washington wins 17-15. to But it is a good thing because with Seattle... Uh, you know, not making that two-point conversion. Washington would have been screwed. And here's what I don't get. Ron Rivera, how can you not have anybody on your roster who cannot kick a 20-yard field goal? Now think about this. The ball is at the four. You're going to place it down at the 11 or the 12-yard. That's a 22-yard field goal. I don't care. You have somebody on your roster that... Kicked at some point in time at Pop Warner in high school, in college, or just messing around. All right? Someone has got to be able to kick a 22-yard. I could kick a 22-yard field goal. Numchuck could kick a 22-yard field goal. Well, maybe not Numchuck. Anybody could kick a 22-yarder. Usually, special team guys, they hang around. Punters are usually the backup place kickers, right? So you figure the punter who kicked off earlier, okay, all he has to do is boot a 22-yarder. Game is over by not even attempting it or not even having maybe some defensive lineman who kicked in high school. We've seen this before. We saw Doug Flute even try this before. He can do it. Drop kick it for goodness sake. There has to be someone on your roster that you have to have that can kick one from 22 Yards. I would say 80% of our listeners could kick a 22-yard field goal. I would think I would think so. A little frustrating watching that, but it was good because I covered my bet with Seattle. So I was okay with it. So there you go. All right. Some terrible Tuesday uh, takes for you right here. If you got some, you can hit us on Twitter at TCMartin21. All right, we come back. We talk NFL. Steve Berline is uh, scheduled to join us. Uh, he is uh, just landing. He's flying the globe, uh, just like our good friend Matty Holt did yesterday. So uh, we hope to talk to him. If not, we've got more NFL stuff to touch on. The big seven-footer will join us next hour as well as we continue on this terrible Tuesday. store around your door and more of what you're looking for with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, don't forget we'll be back at the Cosmopolitan in Las Vegas coming up Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Look forward to that. Our best bet segment and a whole lot more. Come on out and uh, join us and also take advantage of the fantastic sports book there. The William Hill Sportsbook at the Cosmopolitan Las Vegas. Use the promo code TC50 and take advantage of $53 into your brand new account when you open it up there. College football crunch time, bowl season upon us. And uh, we got the Pac-12 championship game coming up on Friday as well, too. So we'll be there for that. Going to be a great time uh, as always. And again, 
See us Friday at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. All right. We got the Raiders in Washington coming on Sunday as well, too. We look forward uh, to that. Andre Risen will be joining us uh, this week as well. And uh, the Raiders will be uh, a little little tribute to Andre Risen this week uh, as well. So as the Raiders customarily do, bringing out a lot of their former players, like our next guest, Steve Berline, who was here weeks ago. Uh, on on Mark Davis's dime, you gotta love that, and that's what the Raiders do. And now I think that Steve Berline is is traveling the globe again, and I got a feeling that he's on someone else's dime because I think he's just he's on a golf course tour. I don't know. I got my crystal ball thinking that he just landed uh, somewhere uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, get ready to to go play eighteen. Uh, could that be true, Steve Berline? That could be true. <laughs> Well, that good. could be true, although I'm not on a golf course tour. I, uh, I, I am getting ready for a couple of really cool uh, days of golf at the Mountain Shadows Golf Resort in, uh, in Scottsdale. It's, it's one of the coolest par-3, uh, 18-hole golf courses you'll ever see, and uh, it's a big charity event. It's called the uh, Christmas Classic um, out here in Scottsdale, and um, I'm looking forward to a couple of days of great golf and cold cocktails and all that goes along with it out here in Scottsdale. But, you know, the last eight weeks I've been working my butt off, although I did squeeze in a, a weekend at, at Pebble Beach. Oh. So that's where maybe the golf tour uh, rumor has started. But, um, heck, I was in, I was in uh, Green Bay doing the Rams and the Packers on Sunday um, and then was in New York doing my, my uh, Monday show. Uh, yesterday, so it's been a pretty hectic uh, eight weeks or so. But looking forward to playing some golf and relaxing and having fun here. Absolutely, I got I got so many things to hit on with that. First of all, I love the par three, uh, the the twenty seven, you know, the eighteen hole golf course. Wait, well, what, what, do the math. Eighteen times three, what is that? Fifty four? Is that what it is? The par fifty four? Eighteen. Yeah, yeah. eighteen times. Two is thirty six. Yeah, three. Yeah, right. Fifty four. Right. I love those golf courses, and I've only I've never played an eighteen holer of nothing but par threes. That's my game, my friend. I would love that, and I've done the, well, the nine holers back in the day. But yeah, I would love that. That's great. Well, it's really it's really cool. I mean, it, it is in incredible shape. I mean, they really take care of it like a a true golf course. And out here in Scottsdale, you have to do that to compete, obviously. And uh, but I mean the different greens and the bunk green and there's water out here. And, uh, they do a really really good job with it at Mountain Shadows, so you should check it out sometime. Love it, love it. Hey, I know some peeps out there, so there you go. I, I've got to do that. Now speaking of knowing peeps, I wish we would have talked last week. If I knew you were going to Green Bay, you're you're going to one of my former you know hometowns there. Uh, Dev, I could have swayed you exactly the right places to go eat, Steve Barline. And you know, I never lead you astray on food, my friend. So, real quick, I've got to hear about the Green Bay tour. Well, let, let me just clarify. So, you know, I'm I'm with uh, Compass Media doing the radio right. now. I'm not doing television anymore, unfortunately. Uh, I'm hoping to get back into that. But uh, Troy Aikman and Joe Buck were on the call. Got to catch up with Troy a little bit at the game. Um, and remember, that was also the site of my my famous uh, 1999 duel with Brett Favre. Yes. And uh, I took it to the house on the last play of the game from the five-yard line, fourth and goal from the five, with five seconds left uh, to beat Brett Favre in a shootout. So uh, it was my first time back there in 22 years, which was awesome. But the problem was we stayed in Milwaukee. And oh, no. I'm going to tell you something. 
if you ever want to get depressed, go spend a few days in Milwaukee. Um, I mean, it is unbelievable. Now, I know they're, they're celebrating, supposedly, the NBA championship and everything else, but, I mean, that was an absolute ghost town. And, and, and I mean, I'm talking about literally nothing going on. Uh, and we drove two hours up to Green Bay, and Green Bay was, you know, bouncing like it always does during the NFL season on Sundays. Uh, then we drove back to Milwaukee, and, and I swear to you, TC, that there was zero signs of life yeah. in that city. That's funny. Because, well, again, I, I lived in Green Bay for 12 years, lived five minutes from Lambeau Field. I worked in Milwaukee, and I used to have to do that commute uh, for a period of time, so I know exactly you know what you're talking about. But, Steve, nobody flies into Milwaukee. I need to have a talk with those people at Compass Media because you fly into Austin Straubel Airport five minutes away. There are plenty of nice hotels, and they've built up that whole area by Lambeau. And as you know, if you haven't been there for 22 years, I moved back you know, here in 2015, and I have not been back, and it is... It has changed dramatically just in that area right there. So I know you did not even recognize that area uh, by Lambeau Field because now they have little play parks. they got the hotels. they got all the restaurants there. It had to blow you away. But you don't stay in Milwaukee, my friend. Worst case, you stay in Appleton like all the visiting teams like you did when you were with the Panthers and those guys. You you stay at the Paper Valley there, the old Radisson. I mean, Lombardi Steakhouse right there. I mean, I'll tell you every place you need to go, Steve Berline. Come on. I, I don't. I don't even. I mean, I, I know you, you probably could give me the inside scoop, but I mean, I, I know and and confirmed based on you know the things that you're saying and what we saw just in the short time we were in Green Bay. I mean, it's amazing what they've done in that little area around the stadium. I mean, it, it's there's hotels and there's yeah. there's. It's like you know you, you haven't seen it probably yet in Frisco uh, what the Cowboys did in Frisco, Texas, but they built their facility and they built a whole infrastructure around it with hotels and businesses and restaurants and just a bunch of life and that's that seems to be what the packers or what what the the city of green bay has tried to do to to capitalize on uh, all this you know cheesehead love and uh cheesehead uh, you know support they get which is it's probably there all year round yeah no doubt all right i just uh yeah i feel bad man i would i would have hooked you up with a with a great meal or right across the street from lambeau field and uh so next time you, you get that call man just just give me a call and uh we'll make sure you're taken care of yeah next i get a green bay i'm gonna tell them i i demand yeah to stay in green bay <laughs> that's right that's what i'm gonna do. exactly i got that kind of pull man absolutely you do no doubt i mean <laughs> unbelievable steve berline uh, joins us not from green bay not from new york uh not from las vegas and the cosmopolitan but no from scottsdale arizona i feel like that we should be doing this interview whispering because anytime we're talking about a golf course that uh, we need to be quiet because steve berline could be putting at any, any point in time <laughs> The noise can only help me. All right, my friend. Let's talk about this. You know, you were about a, uh, I'll say, a five-and-a-half-hour drive when you were in Green Bay last weekend from uh, your old stomping grounds, the old linebacker lounge there in South Bend, Indiana. I got to talk to you. Brian Kelly bolts, leaves Notre Dame for LSU. I just got done ranting on a terrible Tuesday, Steve, about no coach ever leaves the cushy confines of a job at Notre Dame, especially one as a head football coach, one that has more victories than anyone else in the history of that fine program, more than Newt Rockney. You do not leave a job at Notre Dame. 
tell me what, what Brian Kelly's thinking. And before you do that, give me how that hit you, being a former alum. Well, so first off, let me just say this, and I've always said this. You know, I think that Brian Kelly was the right guy for that job uh, back when they hired him. Uh, I did not like the way that he departed Cincinnati at that time, and he got a lot of grief about it. Uh, then fast forward, what is it, 12, 13 years, and he does the exact same thing to Notre Dame when they're on the cusp of, uh, you know, hopefully getting into the playoff. I, I don't really think it's going to happen, but, it could. you know, they, they're staking the claim that they should be. And uh, to to do it in the way that he has done it, uh, and especially, like you said, after um, breaking the record this year, um, it, you know, to me it just, is, it just shows uh, his true colors. And, you know, even though I do believe he was the right guy, I also believe – that he's always been a BK guy first, Brian Kelly guy first. Uh, he's used leverage more than once to parlay it into a bit, uh, an extension, a bigger contract at Notre Dame. You know, he threatened to go to the Philadelphia Eagles. He, he's always found ways to use leverage to get uh, a better contract. And to me, that just shows that his mentality is more about doing what's best for him than than trying to really – uh, handle things in the proper way, the way that you would expect a Notre Dame coach to handle himself. So uh, very disappointed in all of this. But uh, at the same time, you know, I, I really believe that this will take care of itself. Uh, uh, they've got a lot of great candidates out there, starting with Marcus Freeman, the, the current defensive coordinator, who uh, I think uh, Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, will do whatever he can do uh, to convince him to stay one way or the other, whether they think he's ready to be the head coach or not, we'll see. Uh, but but there's a lot of other big names that I think would be great fits at Notre Dame that I think would come in with the right priorities and really um, potentially take Notre Dame to the next level, which I don't think that Brian Kelly ever was going to do. I, you know, he never won a big game in his whole career there at Notre Dame. Right. Anytime he, he got into the big games, and we've talked about this many times, uh, his team's never showed up. And um, I think that there's uh, there's there's um, you know, there, there's a lot of reason to believe that uh, that was never going to change. And uh, there are other coaches that have proven themselves to be big game coaches that are out there that I think Notre Dame will have their choice. You know, you are still very close to that program. You go back. You, you still talk to people there. I'm curious, what was Brian Kelly's relationship you know, with administration, uh, the athletic director there. I mean, what was, how was it? I mean, was he given full autonomy to do anything and everything? Was the relationship okay? Was it rocky? Or was this just one of these things, okay, Notre Dame's an independent. You know, if we lose one game, we're we'll, we'll, we always going to have a hard time getting in that college football playoff. Did he want to maybe just, you know, be part of the SEC, go play with the big boys? Or this is what, because people are asking me, they're saying, well, you know, how, how was he viewed there? I mean, what was his relationship? Was there something behind the scenes? Do we know anything here? Well, well, here's the thing. First off, he, he, was, he was Jack Swarbrick's guy. Right. Jack Swarbrick, the athletic director, had been there for a, a long time, and, and he brought in Brian Kelly. So he was fully invested into Brian Kelly. And um, it, it, to me, it irks me that, um, as we talked about a few minutes ago, that, that Kelly used – that relationship and his leverage to milk more out of uh, Swarbrick and Notre Dame uh, during those years. 
um, and then to leave this way, uh, I think is really a slap in the face. But here, here's something that maybe hasn't gotten out yet. The truth, the, the word that I heard was that on his most recent extension, Brian Kelly had three years left. And I heard part of the uh, agreement when they signed the last big extension was that when this extension expires, there will be no further extensions or discussion of extensions if he does not have a national championship. And so that, I think, was probably weighing on Brian Kelly's mind, looking at it saying, I've got three years left on this contract. Um, LSU wants me right now. They're going to pay me huge money. Um, if I don't, if I don't win a national championship, I'm not going to get a new contract from Notre Dame. So that maybe he thought the time was right to do down to make the jump now. And, uh, while he was hot, who knows if you two years from now, he may not have had that opportunity from LSU. So, uh, I understand how coaches get put into these situations and there's always more to the story. Um, I just think that it could have been handled differently and, and with a little bit more class. Um, and I think the university, Jack Swarbrick, and the players deserve that. We know it's a 10-year deal, $95 million, but we know Brian Kelly was making good money. at Notre. Do we know what the contract was at Notre Dame or what it potentially could be if he, if he did re-up there? Because we know Notre Dame's got deep pockets, too. Well, they do, but they've never uh, – I mean, and Brian Kelly was one of the, the very top paid coaches that went all in, which Notre Dame said they would never do. And Lou Holtz always had the uh, uh, the quote, and, and, and Lou is a very good friend of mine to this day. Um, and he always, you know, said he wasn't even the highest paid person on the Notre Dame campus. Uh, but now that was a little bit of an exaggeration because he had, you know, he had the shoe contracts right. and other things like that where he was making money, and he had uh, a lot of appearance money that he was making on the side as well. So uh, don't feel sorry for Lou Holtz, but Brian Kelly, um, you know, really uh, changed. The, the dynamic as far as what Notre Dame, Notre Dame's position always was on, on you know, not uh, getting caught up in the um, extracurriculars and, and overpaying for a head coach. They always said, we want a coach that wants to be here for the right reasons, blah, blah, blah. And uh, all of a sudden here in the last 10 years, that's changed dramatically. And, and uh, the new head coach at Notre Dame is going to make a lot of money. Uh, they're not going to probably make – uh, saving money or Brian Kelly money, but they're going to make you know really good money, and the benefits and perks of being the Notre Dame head coach will will outweigh uh, a lot of that other stuff. All right, <clears throat> final thing here on Notre Dame, Steve. We heard Luke Fickle. They could go that same routine. Luke Fickle, uh, from Ohio State assistant, who's been at Cincinnati, and of course, you know, doing a good job at Cincinnati. Do you think he's the guy that uh, that comes from Cincinnati? Do you think Notre Dame targets him, or are you hearing somebody else? Well, if if we take Fickle from Cincinnati, I think there's going to be a um, an absolute uh, revolt in Cincinnati, and probably a march uh, to South Bend, and <laughs> they'll try to occupy South Bend and take over the uh, <laughs> right. the uh, city limits of South Bend. It's going to be the second time in a row they've taken uh, you know a coach uh, from from Cincinnati who's on the the you know precipice of of winning. A national championship, or at least competing for one. So, um, you know, I, I think he's the obvious first choice, or, or one of the, the top uh, choices. I think you got to consider guys like, um, you know, uh, Fitzpatrick out of Northwestern, um, who I think is a guy that'd be a great fit at, at Notre Dame, and who's shown he can win and compete with um, less than um, you know traditional resources at a school like that. Um, 
There's the the guy at Iowa State, uh, Campbell, right. who I think would be a great fit as well. Um, um, you know, even even uh, what's what's the guy of Minnesota? I can't remember his name. Um, who would be a nice fit too? But people are seeming to discount him for some reason. Um, yeah, PJ Fleck. PJ Fleck, row the boat. Yeah, PJ Fleck. Yeah. I mean, what he's done up there in Minnesota is, is pretty impressive. And, yeah. and there's a, there's a lot of others that will come into play. But I think I think you start with. Marcus Freeman, if you want to hire from within, and he's an incredible recruiter. And I think they would save uh, what is regarded as one of the top three to five recruiting classes in the country. They would save that class if they uh, kept Marcus Freeman because he supposedly is one of, if not the best recruiter in the country right now. Uh, and so that's going to go into the factor of the decision as well. But then Luke Fickle obviously would be the, the next uh, uh, number one uh, you know consideration, I think, from Notre Dame's perspective. All right, Steve Berline uh, joins us. Steve, let's finish out with uh, college football here and transition over to uh, the other big uh, coaching uh, announcement here with Lincoln Riley going to USC. You're a Southern California guy. Uh, you follow the USC program very, very closely. Your thoughts about Lincoln Riley just bolting uh, – just the way Brian Kelly did at Notre Dame, but Lincoln Riley bolts an overnight move, and now he's taken over a struggling USC program. But we know we talk about deep pockets and everything. I mean, how quickly does he make USC relevant? I'm pissed about this one. <laughs> okay, let's hear it. <laughs> because because he's he's legit, and he's going to make USC legit. <laughs> and uh, it's it's great for the rivalry. It's great for college football to have USC relevant again, okay. and, and he'll do it quickly, I believe. Um, you know, it was the right call for USC to do that. Uh, unfortunate for them that LSU topped them as far as, uh, you know, that they had the, they had the center stage for about a day before, um, you know, LSU took it from them by hiring Brian Kelly. But, uh, I, I really like Lincoln Riley. I think he's going to do a fantastic job. Um, you know, they weren't going to be in the national championship conversation, but it, it is a, it's a very disturbing pattern. Um, that these coaches are doing this in the way that, that they are, um, you know, putting, um, I think college football and college athletics really on a very, uh, you know, tender, um, you know, they're, they're, they're walking the line, uh, towing the line of, of really, uh, from an ethical perspective of, um, you know, right and wrong, uh, really turning this into a big, big, uh, money decision every single time, and uh, it, it's getting out of control, obviously. And um, you know, I, I really do think it doesn't doesn't bode well for the future of, of college football if they don't find a way to somehow kind of restrict these movements during the season. Um, you know, like the NFL does. The NFL does not allow uh, this kind of of uh, conversation to even take place until teams are eliminated or uh, have a bye or a week off, and they they won't uh, announce a lot of these decisions until. Uh, after the season is over, after that team has been eliminated. So, um, you know, I, I really do think it's a fine line. They're walking with all these hires, but USC is uh, automatically relevant because of this hire. No doubt about it. All right. Steve Berline, we'll let you get back to the golf course. Before we do that, my friend, we're, we'll send you out with a, a little uh, flashback. We'll go down memory lane. How's that? Let's go. Well, he- Floyd goes in motion. Berline, quarterback draw. Touchdown. Touchdown. Wow. Carolina wins it. Wow. And the game is over. Just like that, the game is over. Burline went into the end zone. You know, 
very few people can silence a crowd as quickly as me like that. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> wait a minute. Here's... Uh, you blink, you blink, and I'm gone, man. It's over. You, you think these guys like, uh, you know, uh, uh, not Cam Newton anymore, but guys like uh, Jalen Hurts, and you think they can score quickly, man? Uh, I took that sucker to the house. You took it to the, the house, but so, how come yeah. you you didn't do the Leroy Butler? I didn't see no Lambo leap. Where was the Burline leap there? You're a former <laughs> basketball player. You got some hops. The quick version of that story is that uh, for some reason the safety for for the Packers, who was sitting on the goal line waiting for me, uh, he dove at my legs instead of taking me on high. If he would have hit me high, I would have never scored. But he dove at my legs, and as I attempted to soar over the top of him. Uh, he caught my knee with his helmet, and I thought my knee literally blew up. So I'm in agony as I'm soaring over the goal line. And then I, I land in the end zone, so I know that I scored. I'm, I'm ecstatic. I'm in ecstasy. But I'm also in agony because I think my knee is blown up. Oh. And I'm laying on my back, screaming in both pain and joy at the same time. And I look up and see the first of like 15 of my teammates who are getting ready to dogpile me. And I see the first 300-pounder in midair getting ready to land on me. So I spent the next minute and a half, two minutes, underneath this pile thinking I was going to die. So that's why I didn't do a Lambo leap. Very well, my friend. All right, great stuff. <laughs> great stuff in the annals of uh, Lambeau Field history. My man, Steve Berline. All right, brother, enjoy. I want you to shoot a 49, okay? Shoot a 49, 18-hole 49. You could do it on that par 3 course. 18 hole 49. Wow. Yeah. I'll be happy with 60 or better. That's only five birdies. Come on, man. Think about it. Well, Do no, the math. I'm playing two rounds. There's only two rounds in a tournament. So, okay. So, uh, is that right? Yeah. That, that'd be 54, right? So, yeah, get 60. That'll be my goal. I'll party. All right. You got it, brother. Sounds good. Take care. Appreciate you. There he is. Right, Steve Berline, my guy. We come back. Big seven footer, Big Bill Cartwright. It is showtime, baby. Here we go. Live in the entertainment capital of the world. is going on he's feeling it and you can see he's rising to the occasion it's the tc martin show oh, awesome baby with a cap of the it's time to get your daily prescription from the doctor tc martin this is your captain baby hey come with me the doctor is now in glad to have you with us hour number two of the show appreciate steve berline for, for joining us Talking a little college football with all of that news. Brian Kelly uh, leaving Notre Dame, taking the LSU job, and of course Lincoln Riley, Oklahoma. So uh, good stuff. That interview will uh, be up on uh, the website coming up a a little bit uh, later on. All right, we continue on here on a Terrible Tuesday edition, our Terrible Tuesday takes and thoughts as well, too. Uh, That up on the website, and of course uh, this week, of course, we continue on. Trevor Maddich uh, will be joining us uh, tomorrow. We look forward to that. And we are back at the Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas coming up on Friday from 2 to 4 p.m. Pac-12 championship game, the football side, Allegiant Stadium. We've got Oregon and Utah. That kicks off at 5 o'clock. We'll be there for that. Looking forward to it. And then Sunday, the Raiders coming off that big victory against the Dallas Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day. They're taking on the Washington football team 
and Washington victorious last night in a very weird, ugly game. We talked about that last hour. Uh, no field goal kicker. What's Washington going to do? No Joey Sly. No field goal kicker. They're going to come in here to to Allegiant Stadium on Sunday and just go for two nonstop. Yeah, they win seventeen fifteen over Seattle last night, keeping their uh, faint hopes alive for the playoffs. Uh, the Washington football team now what five and seven. Seattle three and eight. Yeah, what a weird mess of a football game that was. All right. So, all of that. All right. Coming up now, we've got to bring our good friend in, even though he is the man in the middle, even though that he's going to be entertaining uh, our UNLV running Rebels on Saturday night. That's right, the War Memorial Gym, uh, the house that Cartwright built, the Cartwright section. That's right, good seats still available in the Cartwright section. If you want to make that, that trek, from Las Vegas to San Francisco, make sure when you buy your tickets, you go sit in the Cartwright section. And you may even get a glimpse of the big seven-footer because UNLV is playing USF on Saturday night. we got that to talk about. We'll talk about the Raiders, Thanksgiving Day, the Cartwright family uh, gathering. I saw pictures of that. Jeez, I got a chance to, to see the big seven-footer the day before Thanksgiving. we got a lot on the table here. There he is. All right, make make your way. Make your way. Slap high fives with everybody. Here you go. Take off the sweats, my man. Let's go. Let's get down. Let's get dirty. Yeah, you know, you know what's funny is that even you mentioned this, is that, um, you know, you had a football team, and their field goal kicker gets injured. And we saw he got injured. It was really bizarre. Don't most teams have a guy who can – like a backup field goal kicker, maybe some guy that's kicked in high school or uh, in college, and now he's got another position, or maybe even in his backyard. I mean, how how is that possible that you don't have a backup to a guy that could, you know, win the game? Listen, that's exactly what I said last hour. Terrible Tuesday. I don't get it. How can you not have anybody? Think about that. They have driven the length of the field, Washington, to put the game away. They're up eight points, right? All you need is a a field goal to make it 11, game over, under two minutes to go. Seahawks, no timeouts left. All you need is one guy to kick the ball, place down at the 12-yard line. That's a 22-yard field goal. You can make a 22-yard field goal. I definitely can make a 22-yard field goal. We know Numchuk couldn't. But anybody, there's a fat lineman, like you said, that kicked in high school. There, there's, some, there's some wide receiver that kicked in Pop Warner. There's no doubt about it. And what about, like, the punters? Don't usually the punters, they're always hanging out. They're working out with the kickers. I guarantee he's holding for him. He's got to, to, to take some. There's no doubt about it. Where is that punter? Where is some some offensive guard? Somebody's got to kick one 22 yards, right? Somebody. 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 Somebody's kicking maybe in their backyard. That's what I'm saying. There's got to be one guy on your roster 
that uh, that you know can, can do that twenty yard field goal. Let oh, me ask damn. you, hey, how how often did you like on your weekends, maybe you know when you weren't playing basketball, that you went up to Elk Grove High School and and you went you 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 took a tee or you took a buddy or whatever or you took one of your six sisters there and and she held it down and you kicked it through the uprights there on the thundering herd f- football field. You had to spend some time doing that. We all did, right? Well, you know. I, I, I have done that. Yeah, yeah you do that just just to do it. Right. But uh, uh, you know, I wasn't on, a, on the football field. I played when I was a freshman. But uh, no, that's what I'm yeah, saying. But we that. would go out there and do that, like on a Sunday afternoon, or go out and play. You know, you're playing football, or you're you're kicking field goals. I used to love going up to my my high school, like when I was a teenager, and or even you know younger, and like and go you know sneak on the football field and and, and kick through the uprights. Everybody does that. I'm, well, I'm, I'm just saying that those guys, um, those coaches, they spend hours and hours and hours talking about things that could happen, um, possibilities, and scenarios of maybe we need a guy, you know, in case this guy got hurt, we need this other guy. So uh, it's strange that they didn't follow up on that kind of scenario of happening that our field goal kicker got get injured and we have a backup one. Yeah. So this just a little it's just bizarre because those guys are so uh organized. Um it's just that's that's the strange thing. No doubt. What what kind of length would you have there? Like could could you go from thirty, thirty five, forty, you know? I mean you yeah, I mean you got yeah. a big leg there. You got a long leg. What do you think? Yeah, 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 but but I was doing that stuff, but that's high school stuff. I mean, you can't do that now. Uh, you know, then you could, you could do anything. You were Superman. You were wiry. You were wiry strong. Yeah, but see, you weren't doing no uh, soccer style stuff. You weren't yelling Stender. You were probably going like Don Cockdroff or, or, you know, what were you doing? You were going straight on kicker back in those days. You you weren't swinging no, that I'm leg, swinging. were you? No, I, I was swinging it. Oh, really? I was he thought it. you yeah. were Ray Wershing, didn't you, with the one with the one bar on that face mask? Yeah, yeah, that that felt all right. I mean, I could kick a soccer ball. I could do that. So um, back then, like I said, in, in that, when you're young, you could do anything. Yeah, uh, and you just do it. You don't think about it. You just do it. But uh, somehow, as you get older, you kind of lose that that ability. But uh, they had a lot of weird stuff, and um, you know, and you know, like you know, we were talking earlier about scenarios that happens in sports and. Football right now is is really uh, you know I, I love football I play football um, and we're playing basketball. But there's there's a scenario that happens, especially late in the game, where the officials do not want to decide the game. So I can remember basketball games where the the score at the end of the game it's brutal. It's brutal because, you know, the officials, unless it's an obvious foul, they're not going to call anything. Now, as I watch my Dallas Cowboys basically have the game stripped away by by calls at the end of the game, like every single call on third down was a flag. It was laughable in that game. Uh, that there were so many penalties at the end of the game. And and look, if it's obvious, I'm like, yeah, okay, that's obvious. If it's questionable, you got to let that go. And it's, it's and I think it's really hurting the sport that that for one thing, you know, these guys can get 50 yards without making a catch. 
instead of a bad ability. And another thing, so many flags are thrown, so many referees are willing to decide the game. So let me ask you a question. you think that, I mean, am I reading that right? It feels like the referees are deciding the game. These guys aren't catching the ball. These guys are throwing their bodies at guys and forcing the officials to make a call, which they're willing to make. Okay, so what you're telling me is here, you okay? You're a cowboy fan. You're reading your turkey. You're all excited. You're you know you're watching the Cowboys. You're hoping the Cowboys beat the Raiders. I understand all that stuff, but the bottom line is this goofball and I underline goofball. Anthony Brown commits not one, not two, not three, but four pass interference calls. And you're trying to say, well, let's blame the officials here. Now, granted, there was 276 yards in penalties, 166 by your Cowboys, and I'm not saying that that it's it's you're partially wrong here. But when you have that many penalties, my friend, that's not all about referees. That is just undisciplined football by these goofballs, specifically Anthony Brown. He had his hands all over these clowns, and it always happened on third down. And if you have one pass interference or you have a second, don't you know, okay, that's it. Whatever you did that may have gotten you that call the first time, the second time, you sure in the heck aren't going to do it a third time. You definitely aren't going to do it with all the chips on the table for the fourth time that's going to that's going to give your team the loss. So get your hands off. I mean, you got to change the narrative. It's just like you. You got three fouls. You got four fouls, and you're you're calling a game. I mean, you're going to back off. You're not going to play the game the same way that you did earlier on if you know that you're in foul trouble. So, no, I blame these idiots. These guys do not uh, know how to play disciplined football. They want to reach. They want to grab. They can't keep their hands off the receiver. So I, I say, yeah. I mean, to a certain degree, I know where you're going with this about the officials are deciding the game. But guess what? They don't even get to, a chance to decide it if the guy is playing clean football. Can't, can't disagree more. <laughs> what I've said was is that some things, what things, some things are obvious. Some things are questionable. A, a foul's a foul. Come on. At, First at quarter the, in your game, of, fourth quarter no, in your game. I'm, I'm, talking that's about, it. I'm talking about, now hang on a second. I'm talking about the last quarter. I'm talking about the game-winning drive. If it's close and it's questionable, that's not a freaking penalty. They've got to be able to decide the game. And you cannot enjoy a football game. I can't. And this is bad the Cowboys are playing or not. I don't want the officials to decide the game. There's going to be a little bit of contact. Your guy that we just spent some time with, Danny Buns, just talked about the fact that there could be no contact in football anymore, and he hates it. So, look, the players hate it. The ex-players hate it. They don't even watch the game because, because the officials are deciding the game. Now, I don't want that. That's all I'm saying. Maybe you're happy with that. I'm not. Okay. And, and what Danny Buns, the great San Francisco 49er linebacker, was talking about at our at our event last week in, in Sacramento was, and I say the same thing. He's talking about 
the quarterbacks. You can't touch the quarterback. You can't drive him to the ground. You can't tackle him anymore. You can't make just a good, old-fashioned textbook tackle like you're taught back in Pop Warner. Okay, what we're talking about is different. We're talking about defensive backs, defensive backs, Bill, that cannot keep their hands off the receivers. You bet Danny Buzz is not on the show because he would drill you right now at what you're talking about. We, we could call He'd Danny. You. He would say, you can't touch anybody right now. And then he said exactly what I'm saying is that, that that defender has the right to put as much pressure on that receiver as much. That's his job. Pressure, yeah. Right yeah. But the you officials aren't calling the that. They're not calling pressure. They're calling a what guy, right locking a guy in an armbar. Anthony Brown had Raider what receivers in an armbar. He, he thought it was big-time wrestling. He thought he was the great about, Mephisto. He had taken him to the, oh, the armbar to the mat about. and thrown him in the third row of the Channel 40 studios. That's what he was doing. He's loading up the booth there like the great Mephisto. Not not even close. What are you talking about? Uh, um, something crazy. What are we doing? What are we playing? Flag football here? We can't touch it. That's what we're playing. Not we're playing flag football. Why don't just put the flags on the guy so we don't touch him? So you want subjective rules. That's what you want. You want subjective flags. Like, well, that's not that bad. Oh, it, wait, it's a last drive of the game. It's third and 18. We're in overtime. So let's swallow the whistle. And we and you that that's what always irritates me in basketball, especially the NBA, is where they say, well, the referee's going to swallow the whistle here. So that means now we can get away with an elbow to the gut or we can get away with a hip check. We can get away with it, but in the first and second and third quarters, we can't get away with it and you know as well as anybody when you're instructing these officials in any sport a foul is a foul no matter what and in baseball a strike is a strike no matter first second ninth inning 17th inning you you have to go ahead and teach that and then you have to go ahead and and have that play out or else you're going to have total chaos we just wish it was that way. And it's too bad Dusty's not on here. <laughs> Dusty would tell you a strike is not a strike. And I'm telling you, a graze is not a foul. That's what I'm saying. You know what a foul is. If there's a foul on a basketball court, you see it. If referees, throw, if referees call it a foul and it looks quite, it's not a foul. That's what I'm saying. These guys have got to play. They got to play. And right now, I mean, we, we could have as much contact as basketball. They do, they're they playing football. They're not touching anybody. They can't graze anybody. If somebody falls down, somebody falls down in basketball right now, it's a flagrant. Right? You drive with basketball, you fall down. They're going to review it. Right? They would never do that. It's like get up. Right? That's just playing. So right now in football, if, you, if a guy falls down and he throws his arms up, flag. Now, I don't know about you, that's, that's not what I want to see in a football game. Guys, guys throwing themselves at guys, throwing hands up in the air. I mean, has that ever happened in the past where the guys are throwing hands up in the air? Like that after a little bit of contact? It never happens. So if, 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 this, is, if this is the sign of where it's going, where – Officials are dictating the games, and the players are not turn off. That's a turn off for me.
it, That's all I'm saying. It, it is it is a turnoff. Oh, and, and by the way, you know, speaking of, of Dusty, you just brought him. Uh, he just texted. And he wants to know if you're going to join us for dinner on Saturday night. Oh, but I got to tell him that, that you're unavailable Saturday night because uh, you're going to be entertaining some dons and some rebels. Well, yeah, you should have swept down the air to San Francisco. <laughs> Could have got you on a flight. That's all I'm saying. It does these flip soccer, but he should be down here watching the game. He's coming this way this time. See, I mean, he 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 knows when when a good time is is to be had. It would be a better time to be had uh, here, plain and simple. So that's our next roundtable discussion. So we'll, we'll go ahead and we'll get D- D- Danny Buns, Dusty. Anybody else you want me to gather, we'll have another roundtable discussion about the pitfalls of uh, of officials. Should I get a referee on the panel? Should I get a referee on the panel as well, too, to, to explain themselves? Make sure you, you can get an old uh, referee on the panel. I'm sure he would agree. <laughs> those, those, those guys weren't looking at the design of the game. I'm saying that I, I want to see great, Basketball players. I want to see smart players. I want to see receivers make catches and not fall to the ground and get 50 yards for not catching now, a pass. Okay, now we're on the same page here, okay? So let's talk about pass interference because that's a travesty. All right? In college, it's funny because, you know, college throws 15-yard penalty and then, you know, they, people in college always say, oh, man, what a travesty because it's not like the NFL. You're right. The more I'm watching the NFL, the more I'm disagreeing with that call because you just throw one up. You throw up a Hail Mary 50 yards, and we see it every week in multiple games where a quarterback makes a bad throw. He underthrows a receiver. We saw it again um, with Sunday night. Underthrows a receiver, and the guy runs into him. Well, there's a flag. There's a 50-yard penalty there when... You know, these guys are going to get off the field. Now, that's garbage. That's the stuff that you need to take care of, of, of maybe the rules. But the bottom line is just teach these defensive backs how to play better defense. That's all I'm saying. Is it a travesty that we have 50-yard penalties? Absolutely. There should be no way, shape, or form where a penalty should be given for half of the entire field. Like you said, it doesn't happen in any other sport, right? Basketball, baseball, cricket, whatever. I don't even know the rules of cricket. But you know what I'm saying? That doesn't happen. Why should it happen in football? That's the problem. So why don't you concentrate your frustration and your petitions to the NFL you know, with that nonsense instead of, well, you know, let these guys hand fight. No, hand fighting is not good, okay? Do not obstruct the receiver. The receiver and the defensive back should have equal opportunity to get the ball all right, little hand jostling, okay, but when you start going arm bars and and, and crashing into people before uh, the uh, the ball arrives, no. But the fifty yard penalties—that's the problem, my friend. No, I disagree with that. But you know, you should try to get Jerry Rice on there. I mean, he had a lot of trouble getting the ball, did he? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's just nonsense. What you just did? Said. You ever complain? Yeah, you, okay, when yeah, you were getting yeah, a, yeah, when you were getting elbowed my, around and couldn't get oh, the ball, I'm saying is that, no call. If you got if you got a great receiver and you've got a really good passer, you're going to get the ball because these guys are just good, too good. Now you're going to. I'm just saying. All I'm saying is that the officials have changed that game. That's what I'm saying. Is that we don't need these? What's, what's wrong with what they were doing? 
because they are not they, they don't call it enough, and that's the problem. They let these these they don't deep, they don't, they don't no 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 they don't. I mean every 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 call. If you want to get something out of the game, then you get it out of the game. It's like the taunting thing that they have right now. They want to get that out of the game. It looks ridiculous, but guess what? Every week you're seeing taunting. less and less taunting because they want to get that out of the game because it's nonsense. You know, they don't want to see a guy jawing another guy and they throw a flag. It looks ridiculous. It sounds ridiculous, but that's how you get it out of the game. So if you want to get this stuff out of the game where all of these pass interference calls, then you call it really, really tight and then you you get these guys not to not to have arm bars on the receivers. Let's have some more flags. Let's have some more reviews. Because players are out of control. You know that. They're out of control. It's a me-first game. Yeah, they are. Players are fired. Players players are sick of all these rules. You can't play football. You have to have rules for football or else it's just carnage. It's just carnage. We need need Danny Buns on the air to get you right (laughs) because you are so confused right now about what's going on in football. I'm confused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there it is. There it is. We have to move on, I guess. This is a penalty. I got a penalty. You got a penalty. But yeah. Black. Yeah. But you guess a personal foul. The big seven footer. Number 24. Personal foul. 50 yard. 50 yard personal foul. 50 yards. Yeah. Not half the distance to the goal. Yeah. Half the distance of the field. You like that? That's nonsense. Can't even agree with me on that. That's, that's 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 all. I, I just I, can't. I, 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 I just, just can't see, believe. See, I just see, seriously, I see great seriously. Okay, inform me and all of our listeners this, and, and be honest. There had to be multiple times, but just pick one, okay? Where you were in the low block, you got thrown to the ground, you got elbowed, whatever it was, and, and you were denied the basketball on entry pass, or actually you had it in the low block, and then you got undercut and there was no foul, and you went ballistic to the ref saying, how can that not be a foul? And the referee just threw his hands up in the air. It happened to you, right? So you should understand this. Yes, and and this is what a player, and once again, you need Danny to be on here. I would tell the official, look, this is what happens, and I don't want you to worry about it because I'm going to take care of this myself. <laughs> when you and Big Bill Lambie were going at it, that was happening, wasn't it? There you go. Nah, that's you and Rick Mahorn. That's his player. <laughs> and Rick, as you know, I've, I've talked, I've spoken with Rick many times. He's a good guy. He's just part of the game. It's not personal. Because uh, I'm gonna take him five, make make two free throws. I got I got no problems. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you complain quite a bit about officials not not making calls. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. So, cutting. No, no, I don't. I don't. I really don't believe that happened. <laughs> yeah, that's that's part of the game. We work, you know. And it's like, and you've never heard me complain about Bill and Bear at all. No, 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 like, no, no, no. You know, well, you you don't. Yeah, because because Bill. Look, and I—that's because I you know that I'm, I'm, I might stir it up and it might get you guys in a room, and and, and there you go, you know. No, no, because Bill and I have the same understanding. That's how we play, right? No, and you're... we can't play that way. We can't play. So once you understand that, you're 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 good with it. So with all this stuff with Bill and Bear, was he dirty? I'm like, no, that's how he plays. That's his game. So you you better adapt to him and his game, not vice versa. <laughs> Hi, this is Bill Ambeer, and you're listening to the team. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. 
<laughs> Numchuck over there. Um, yeah, no, you're right. And he, he admits the exact same thing. Exactly. That's how you played the game. Nothing wrong with that. You know, let bygones be bygones. Plain and simple. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we One of the big bills with us today, Big Bill Cartwright, uh, joined us. USF, UNLV, Saturday night. Uh, you're hosting. Are you rolling out the red carpet for our Rebels? Well, we're going to roll out the red carpet so we can whip, whip them. <laughs> Outside of that, uh, you know, I mean, you know, we, uh, and I've had a chance to watch them play in Sylvia. Uh, you know, they they can't beat you. They, they are athletic. Uh, they have, uh, you know, a bunch of guys that really just gotten together, and uh, so they're putting together a new, really new guys under, under a, a system. They got a good coach. So we we know that we know one thing uh, that they're going to play really hard, and uh, and we need to get on top of them right away. So uh, it, it's going to be a fun game, and and I'm looking forward to it. So, um, but yeah, we we have a lot of respect for them. Well, that's good. That's good. It's Saturday night, uh, War Memorial Gym. There you go. Uh, they know that uh, it's, it's going to be a good game. Uh, you got the, the Dons uh, playing well, undefeated at this point in time. Um, you know, you look at the WCC, and we talk about you know the game. I know you watched it. I was there, Gonzaga playing uh, Duke on Friday night. It was a phenomenal game, phenomenal atmosphere. And uh, you, when you look at this Gonzaga team. Um, they seem to have uh, everything. And they did take the night off last night. They had a game. They played Tarleton. I think they were a 40-point favorite, and they won by nine. And you asked me last night, were they playing their guys? The answer was yes. Go look at the box score. Uh, they were playing their guys last night. And when you talk about a team having a letdown, and you look at this schedule, you go from playing, you know, basically now the number one team in the country, and Duke came in at number five, and Gonzaga was number one when they played, and then a few days later, you come back home and you play against a team like Tarleton, and no one even knows really where Tarleton is or what conference they play, what level they play, anything of that nature. But they were there in that game. They led the game. Uh, it was a close ball game. Again, it was a single-digit game when it was all said and done last night. It's, uh, how, how hard is that for a team to bounce back after you have this big emotional game against a powerhouse in front of 20,000-plus here in Nevada, and then, which was actually the largest crowd for a basketball game ever in the state of Nevada, and then you come back on your home floor and you can't get up for this. And, you know, it's a 40-minute game. And I know that you're going to maybe, you know, not be as enthusiastic, but you are playing the game. It is one of only, what, 35 games on your schedule. I mean, why should that happen where it basically takes you uh, an entire game to get untracked, where a team that you should you you should crush and you should roll over that you struggle the entire game. Well, you, well, you know why? Because it, it's like on any good team that you play on. And think about it when 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 I played for the Bulls, and we would let's say we're going to go play the Sacramento Kings, so. We know that this game we're playing is going to be their game of the week. And it's probably going to be their game of the month. And if they're not playing well, this could be their game of the year. This game is going to be maybe one of the few sellouts they're going to have for the year. 
So I would say that the reason that happens is because that team probably played as well as they have played and maybe ever going to play the rest of this year, as opposed to Gonzaga, who came up with a huge game. That team is probably one of the worst teams they're going to play. So... Uh, yeah, that's why that happened. But I, I, yeah, get, I get that, Bill. But you, but you, it's a different scenario. You're talking about okay, you and the, with the Bulls, and you're going to Sacramento. They're going to have the home crowd, and again, it's another professional team. But when you're Gonzaga, Gonzaga is playing at home against a team that they are paying, you know, a lot of money to come and and get that victory. A team that's not even at the same level. So it's really not even the same thing because again, Gonzaga is on their home floor, and this score at halftime was twenty six to twenty five. And I know you're saying, well, maybe they're resting their guys. No, Timmy, twenty eight minutes. Holmgren, twenty seven minutes. Uh, Nimhart, okay, their point guard, thirty six minutes. They were all playing, and they almost got upset by a team. Now, say what you want, you know, Tarleton. Oh, maybe they're good. Well, no, they're they are one in six. They're one and six against the defending national champion. That should never happen. And you're not playing the next night that you played Duke. I mean, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, you know, that's what that's that's three nights later. I mean, you can't be asleep like that. Excuse me. Uh, I'm, I'm saying that it can happen. And they can get beat because uh maybe it's the matchups. <laughs> maybe some kid's having the game of his life. Those games are nightmares. So I'm, I'm sure if you're scouting that game, how much time are you spending scouting Duke as opposed to this other team? Oh, there's no doubt. Right, right. All right. right. I'm just saying that it's a different prep. It's a different game. It's a different atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, can that happen? Of course it okay, can happen. Okay, but what percentage of it is on uh, emotions and, hey, we, we've got a cakewalk tonight. You know that that's it. We're 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 getting ready for conference play. We just got done playing Duke. I mean, it's it's what ninety percent that. It's not that this team shocked us. That this team is really good. It's because you took them lightly and you're not ready to play, right? Well, let's think about it this way. Gonzaga uh, didn't play very well. Obviously, uh, I didn't see the game, so I don't really know any of any of the players over there, uh, and they still won. So, for me as a coach, I I tell my guys, hey, look, we didn't play very well. We didn't we didn't play anything like ourselves, but we did win the game. So they're going to move along from there. So I I think it would be a different scenario if they had lost, but uh, uh, but they won, which is the bottom line. It's like um, I was at practice today with our USF Dobbs coach and. Uh, you know, he said, no, I was going. I'm like, everything's great. Uh, and he wanted to talk about it. So he says, yeah. and I told him, I said, you know what? I got nothing to talk about. You're 8-0. I'm going to leave you alone. So, Gonzaga's 7-1. Uh, Is that right? 7-1? Yep. Yep. Um, they just won a game. I, I'd leave them alone. I'm good with that. <laughs> You're good with that. <laughs> All right, my friend. Uh, good stuff. Uh, you got you got time to hang with us? You, you got anything else you want you want to you want to hang with us for a, a couple terrible Tuesday takes on the other side of the break or what? 
I, I will do that if you if you can mention about how strong our conference is. With uh, not only do we have a top ten team, we've got a top fifteen team, and then we're going to have uh, eventually once uh, uh, St. Mary's moves up a little bit, then they will. Uh, we're we're going to have a team that's going to be uh, uh, like twenty five or something. So uh, we got a hell of a, a conference uh, to compete with this year. These guys are all really really good. Um, and, it's, and it's kind of uh, intimidating because um, I, I think that we're going to be good, but everybody, because of this portal, uh, a lot of teams are taking a jump, and it's really interesting what's going on right now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a fan of the WCC, no doubt about it. And, uh, yeah, I'll give you some thoughts uh, on that. All right, we come back more with the 7-footer, Big Bill Cartwright, on this terrible Tuesday. Get wrecked with the Dr. T.C. Martin. All right, come on down. Join us, Cosmopolitan of Las Vegas. Coming up on Friday, 2 to 4 p.m., of course. Best bet segment and a whole lot more. Big 7-footer, Big Bill Cartwright uh, joined us uh, this hour. We talked some football. We talked about the Cowboys. talked about uh, the officials, how much he just loves... The zebras, no doubt. My friend, how about some Raiders love? Do you have some Raiders love after they beat your Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day? You know, I'm, I'm always a little confused by uh, Raiders fans, especially after your team exits, exits town twice. <laughs> uh, so, um, no, I'm not uh, I'm okay, not that's that. It. That's it. That's it. All right. Uh, did we ever get the update? Did we ever get the breaking news? I, I got the pictures, but I, I think our listeners definitely want to know what was at the Cartwright Ranch on the table for Thanksgiving. I don't know if we have enough time left in the show because the pictures that I saw, I, I don't know if you spent a week preparing that. Well, I know you didn't. I mean, you didn't spend any time preparing or even doing any of the cleanup. But uh, tell us what was on the table there. Well, my cousin Gwen uh, was at her house in Oak Grove. And as you know, I have six sisters. So I'm not even allowed in the kitchen, for one thing, to do any kind of prep. Um, so you can't, you can't blame me for that. But, uh, you know, we had traditional stuff. We had turkey, ham. Uh, each of my sisters has their own specialty, different kinds of casseroles. Um, you know, of course, for me, things have to be prepared right, with, especially with the uh, mashed potatoes and the stuffing and the gravy, which is really crucial, and the uh, green beans. So, uh, yeah, it was it was really really good, and it's and this is the bad thing. Not so much for you because you're a you know you eat the same standard of food all the time. Uh, with your hot dogs and stuff, stuff I can't eat. So at this time of the year, uh, for at least one day, I can eat like you. So when I ate that, it was like, wow, this is like really good. So um, great meal. Uh, washed it all down with uh, some great uh, pumpkin pie and uh, some uh, pecan pie, which you would definitely appreciate. <laughs> And uh, it was it was it was awesome. But as you know, uh, my dad is still hanging in there. He's uh, eighty nine, so I spent time with him. 
watching games, yelling, screaming. Uh, well, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. But small crowd this, this year. It was probably about 30, somewhere between 30 and 40 of us. <laughs> 30 and 40, a small crowd in the house. Small Unbelievable. Small crowd. So much fun. All right. Yeah, uh, the food pictures uh, looked uh, outstanding. Uh, yeah, I'm not a pecan pie guy. I, I did dive into the peach pie. I tell you, I'm a peach pie guy. I'm a fruit pie peach type pie of guy. Is good. Yeah, peach pie is outstanding. There it is. Peach All right, pie is good. I, I love pies. All right, so uh, piggying back on our terrible Tuesday here, we'll uh, give you some news. Uh, your boy, LeBron James, uh, in the news uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, well, first and foremost, uh, LeBron James not playing tonight against your Sacramento Kings. COVID protocols. Does that mean your boy has COVID? Is that, is that what we're hearing here? I don't know. I don't know. Is that what that means? I don't know. He's he's not uh, not playing tonight. But so, but your your guy is had, had a couple issues here. Uh, going back to this past week, my friend, he was fined fifteen thousand dollars for delivering an obscene gesture and language during the game. Now, he made a shot late in the uh, Lakers, a 124-116 game, made the shot in the uh, win over Indiana, in Indiana, and he started giving it to a fan and started flipping off a fan. Now, this is what I don't understand, okay? I would never see this with you or another perennial all-star or one of the all-time greatest players. I really don't even think I saw that with your former teammate, number 23, because they have a little bit more class, or I think they actually realize that they're held to a higher standard. Why does this guy continue to get in altercations, like the altercation we saw last week where he bloodied up the guy, and then he wanted to deny everything, and then now he's, he's like he's flipping people off? I mean, that is like the lowest of the lowest class. How does a guy who wants to be and thinks he's the greatest player that ever lived do this and this is a, this is the thing that upsets me about this guy or anybody for that matter why is it that sense of entitlement that you know you can't take uh the cat calls you can't uh, take a, getting a foul called on you i mean it's just absurd in this me first mentality but when you know that you've been doing this for 20 plus years that you continue to do this kind of behavior, please go ahead and let me hear you defend this juvenile, ridiculous behavior. Uh, well, you know I'm not going to defend that because I don't I don't believe in that. But look, it doesn't matter what LeBron does. LeBron can walk across the street and spill a cup of coffee on somebody, and that's going to be big news. Now this. This to me is this a big story for for you? I guess it is. Yeah. It's, it's like look, the guy for one thing, the guy's the guy's a human being. He's probably getting happy, probably sick of it more than probably anybody in the league. And to me, this, this is a bag of shells. This, this is not even anything of any kind of importance. Okay, but that's um, not when I listen. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, would I be uh, talking about this? You know, if it was, I mean, you know, anybody, uh, if it was, 
you know, one of those, your eighth guy from the Sacramento Kings or anybody, even Buddy Heald. If it's Buddy Heald, no, I'm not talking about it. But again, it's it's him where you don't need, need to complain about every call. You just need to keep your mouth shut. But now you're arguing with fans. I mean, you talk about, isn't that... Isn't he above that? Shouldn't everybody, every professional athlete be above that, let alone the greatest of all time, so to speak? I mean, that's what I'm talking about. That's why we're talking about it, because it's it's so absurd that that he's even doing it. So because it's so absurd, I think, yeah, let, let's talk about it, because the guy's a goofball. It, 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 why? I mean, you've gotten cat calls. You've got this. I'm sure, you know, who knows? I mean, somebody might have stolen things from you or whatever. Are you going to go out in the media and talk about it? Or are you going to go to social media? Are you going to, you know, uh, do gestures and, and yell back at, at fans? No. You know, run our test. You know, going up and, and, and going after fans. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. So it deserves to get talked about. Robert Covington, let's throw him in here. He's fined $25,000 for throwing a face mask at a ref. Again, not a big-time name, so do we excuse that? No. You're a professional athlete. Why are you throwing a mask at a referee? So this is what I'm talking about. I think it's relevant because it's stupid. Well, you heaped a lot into LeBron didn't go on the stands, and nor did he throw a mask at a, at a referee. No, somebody else now, did. Now, now, two other players did those things. All those things are not to be tolerated, and and uh, you know, going after a fan uh, is that silly? Yeah, it's silly. I'm just, uh, I'm not defending that. I'm just saying that it's possible that that could happen. And is it a big deal? Oh, LeBron. And, and why is it a big deal, LeBron? What do you do? What do you do in a fan? Did he flip him off, or is that a big deal? No. Well, then why is he, he fine? Yeah, of course, it's a big deal because he got fined, right? They're trying to send a message here. So that do don't do? do that. What do you? What do you? What do you? What do you do? I'm just saying. It just do? it just demeans. It just demeans his his persona. It's it again. It's it's juvenile. I'm just saying. Is it a big deal? Is it earth shattering? Is it going to go to jail? No, but I'm, it's it's worth talking about because it's it's the greatest player of all time. Apparently, not in my opinion. Not in my opinion. I'm just saying. It's just it's it's stupid, Bill. I keep saying it over and over and over. And it's like you well, want to just – you're not going to defend yeah. it because you know that it's stupid, yeah. but you make it sound like, well, don't even talk about it. Why don't you go ahead and rip the guy? Go and rip the guy and say, hey, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. Uh, you're better than that. I mean, you would tell your kid that, wouldn't you? Or you would tell one of your players if you were coaching, you would say, let's, let's, put, let's put you in that predicament. Okay, it, LeBron James is playing for you, hypothetical, okay? And he's embarrassing you. He's embarrassing your franchise. Would you just let it go because he's LeBron James because you're afraid he's going to get mad at you? As a head coach, how would you handle it? And if you're the commissioner, how should you handle it? No. Well, hasn't it been handled? Hasn't he been fined? Hasn't it been handled? It's just not handled. I guess not enough for you. But they did address it. They addressed it. It's a bad thing. He got fined. Move on. And look, I don't disagree with you because, as you know, I think that all of our guys and people in general 
should hold themselves to an extraordinarily high standard. Of course they should. But when this stuff happens, it happens. He's a human being. It happens. All right? It got addressed. Uh, how big of a deal is it? Uh, did he go into the stands? Did he, uh, did he put somebody in a bar fight? No. I think, I think that's a different area as well. He made a gesture. What did he do? What finger did he stick out? Did he stick out his pinky finger? Would that be uh, pretty brutal? Don't, don't minimize it. That. No, wait a second. Hang on a second. I've always been amazed by how much giving somebody a finger. He gave me a finger. Well, what finger did he give you? It's That's like preposterous. Well, of course. So, he gave him the middle finger. Look, that's that's what he gave him. A finger. Yeah. Oh, the middle finger. Yeah. That's different than any other finger you have. That's so, true. That's right. That's a $15,000 fine figure. finger. Yeah, that's what that is, yeah, right? Yeah. So, the other so one's not. I, I can put my pinky out there. I can put my pinky out there, and that's different than my middle finger. Yeah. That's always amused me. Well, but anyway, anyway, human being made a mistake, was addressed by the league, uh, was addressed by the media. Oh, yeah, that's horrible, isn't it? Let's move along. He didn't, he didn't hurt anybody physically. What did he do? What do you mean? He, he cut a guy up two games before with the elbow. Did you see that nonsense? Again, then he, he tried to down. And then when they wanted to me? throw down, when they wanted to throw down, where was he? He, he, was, he was running for the hills. He didn't want to know. You're right. He's not going to punch anybody because he's not going to throw down with anybody. Well, you know, you're, you're talking to the right guy. You yeah. know, I'm talking about, oh, he got hit by an elbow. Yeah, I know. You know, I'm, I'm the guy that had my throat fractured by an elbow. Yes. So is that a big deal? Probably not. <laughs> he's, still, he's still looking for that guy. Where's the all-points bulletin? Where's the, where, where is the all-points bulletin? Where is the player that, that took Bill Cartwright's larynx out? We're still looking for him. That son of a exactly right. But that's but that was playing back then. It was like, hey, I, I got hit. I moved along. Okay, <laughs> you're, you're one of a kind, as we know. One of a kind to shock the mind. Come on, you're a class act. We we understand that. I mean, that's why again, you have a high school gym named after you. You have a section named after you at the War Memorial Gym there, at the University of San Francisco. You're a class act. Look. To me, 99% of these guys are, are phenomenal guys. They're phenomenal athletes. Uh, you, get, you, you get some guys that make some mistakes. Um, and the league does an outstanding job of uh, addressing it. Um, so um, we got no problems that way. It's just we're just not always going to agree um, what the punishment should be. And it doesn't matter anyway. Players get punished. People get fined. There's never going to be enough. Oh, they got a $50,000 fine. Well, it should have been more. Okay. Well, how much more? What's enough? A finger. A finger costs me money. I got. I have a finger. Don't you give anybody the finger, TC. Uh, it's it's, it's not It's not my repertoire. It's not in my genre. I, I don't do that. I don't do that. I never have. I, <laughs> that's not my thing, you know? There's a few things that I don't. I just don't do, and that's one of them. So there it is. Okay. And there's a few words that you'll never hear me say or phrases that just are not part of my vocabulary as well, too. So, all right, my friend. Uh, good stuff. Uh, appreciate uh, the, the update, uh, everything going on. 
we, we talked plenty of NFL today. We've got uh, USF basketball, a little college basketball, NBA. We touched on with the big seven-footer. And, of course, uh, hopefully you're, you're still walking off that Thanksgiving Day meal as well, too. Yeah, I got to get my work out there today. Uh, I was, uh, even though I did walk up a couple of hills, but uh, I got to get moving because uh, my metabolism is not like yours, where I can just eat hot dogs and burgers and eat all that stuff. You do. I give you credit. You do eat good food. Yes, I'm a little bit jealous. But why do you always just reference hot dogs? I mean, how come you don't talk about the wagyu steaks or? You know the the fine Italian dishes. How come you never talk about that? I, you know, yeah, hot dogs—the first thing that comes out of your mind—and they're all beef. The the Vienna Cadillac of hot dogs too. So remember, yeah, that. yeah. Look, it's not like I don't like it. I, I just can't eat it. That's that's what I'm mad about. All right. And I think that most people, most people my age, they 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 just can't eat that stuff. So at least not every day. I understand. I I, 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 I everybody would love that. All right, brother. Appreciate you joining us today. Take care, and we'll talk with you uh, a little bit later on. We'll talk to you next week. Have a great weekend, my friend. Enjoy USF and UNLV and treat our Rebels right. And, uh, again, I told Kevin Kruger yesterday, say hello to you. You do the same. All right. Go down. All right, buddy. Take care. There he is. Big Bill Cartwright. All right. I want to uh, end the show the way we began the show today. Uh, Again, announcing the, the news, unfortunately, of our good friend Frank Harnish, Ballpark Frank, VGK Frank, who passed yesterday. Um, on tomorrow's show, we will be doing a tribute to Ballpark Frank. Um, we are going to play some vintage clips from the show with Ballpark tomorrow. We'll be doing that during the 3 o'clock hour. We will also have uh, a lot of our media brethren and other friends, uh, and even family of Frank's uh, on tomorrow to give their thoughts. Listeners, feel free to call and give your thoughts tomorrow. We're going to be doing that during the 3 o'clock hour of the show tomorrow. Um, Again, our condolences and thoughts going out uh, to Frank and and his family as uh, he passes away uh, suddenly, unexpectedly. Even though we know that he had cancer, he has been a great friend for many, many years with me and many, many people in Las Vegas been part of this radio community for 27 plus years. He had been part of this show for the last year and a half. And uh, when he was diagnosed with cancer, he spent five weeks in the hospital, been going through chemotherapy. We've been trying to keep all of our listeners updated on everything that uh, has been going on with him. And uh, unfortunately, he lost his battle with uh, cancer yesterday. So... Again, thoughts and prayers to the family. Tomorrow, we will be talking more about this with more great thoughts and great memories of our good friend, Frank Harnish. We'll reconvene tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Have a great rest of the day. Miss any part of the show, go to the website. See it all there. Check it all out at tcmartinshow.com. My good friend, Ballpark Frank. Chair is still open for you, my friend, with the headsets here. Rest in peace. We tribute you tomorrow.